Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Greetings, ladies and germs. We welcome you to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast, and today I have a new guest with me. His name is Nicholas Vasilides, a.k.a. Nico, a.k.a. Nikki V. Welcome to the show, Nikki V. Good to be here, Frankie V. Well, we're going to talk about a subject that we didn't cover in any of the previous episodes. And if you're new to the podcast, we encourage you to go back and listen to those because they all fit together kind of like a tapestry that looks beautiful from one side. And we just don't turn it over to look at the other side. But we are going to talk about joy. The New Testament does link joy as part of the kingdom of God and kingdom living. For example, in Romans 14, verse 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, Nick, what I did is I went through the Old Testament and some of the New Testament to try to get a grasp on what joy exactly is from the scriptural narrative and also to to answer the question what is it and how do we get it how do we walk in joy where can i buy a bottle (laughs) exactly so here's what i discovered in the old testament very often joy is in connection with singing so there's a lot of talk about singing for joy and that's an exact quote singing for joy you find it all over the old testament also shouting shouting for joy so we have singing and shouting in relationship to joy and very often joy and gladness are coupled together in the old testament in the same verse of course we have joyful noise referring to singing to the lord or playing music to him and then we have two passages that link joy with the presence of god psalm 1611 in your presence is fullness of joy and psalm 21 verse 6 you make him glad with the joy of your presence then there's a a proverb that i think is instructive and i think the new testament opens this up a little bit Proverbs 10:28 The hope of the righteous brings joy. So there you have hope and joy put together. So getting back to Paul's word about the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit along with righteousness and peace. Jesus said in Luke 12:32 and I think this is a beautiful passage to memorize and to hold dear and that is fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so the kingdom is available to every believer the kingdom is available to every non-believer if they will submit themselves to the king and therefore joy is available to every christian and i think that's significant because christians are not really known for being joyful that's true (laughs) no argument (laughs) sucking on lemons yes more so not joy so i want to kind of dig deep into this issue of joy here's some observations i have and i I know you have some insights into this as well it seems to me that joy from what i see in scripture is an exuberant excitement over god doing something in our life presently or in hope and anticipation 
for him to do it in the future. So it seems to be linked to something that God has done now or in hopes of what he's going to do in the future. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that the difference between joy and pleasure is that pleasure is in our own power. We can do certain things to create pleasure, but joy is not really in our power. This is something in the hands of God that he gives. So here are just a few passages out of the Gospels that I'll read in connection with this. And I know you've got some passages too in Paul and some of the other letters in the New Testament. But in Mark 4, 16, Jesus says, When they heard the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And this gets into the joy of your salvation. I mean, we all experience the joy when we come to the Lord. Yes, um, we do. Now here's one that has to do with hope for the future. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Jesus is saying leap for joy because there's a future reward. In Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And I've had the experience of watching demons cast out of people, and there's great joy that comes when that happens. Whenever you see God do something in your life, presently there's joy. Absolutely. Luke 15, 10, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. John 3, 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. That's John the Baptist talking about Jesus, the bridegroom, arriving on the scene. So that's a present tense of what God was doing. John 16, 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. That's probably one of the best examples of joy that we can see in the natural yes, order is the right. birth of a child, mm -hmm. which again comes from God. Now here's hope in the future, joy related to future hope. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. John 16, 24. And I can relate to that. Can you not when God answers a prayer? There's joy that comes with it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Acts 12, 14, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. That's when they were praying for Peter <laughs> to be released. <laughs> she had great joy that God answered the prayer. Acts 15, 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through two areas. They described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So their report on what God did brought joy. 2 Timothy 1, 4, I long to see you, Paul says, that I may be filled with joy. That's a future hope. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before Christ, he endured the cross. And of course, that joy was the hope and the promise that he would get his bride. Yes, a good one. Yes, and then James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then he later talks about how that will produce endurance, and the endurance will produce basically spiritual maturity, and then he ties it into what God is going to give us in terms of future reward. Right. So there's, there's the hope related to joy, when we go through a trial, because there's a future outcome that's going to be wonderful. What say you? Good Mr. stuff. Dean? Good stuff. Yeah. So, um, just a couple of observations, and kind of just going back to the very first scripture that you read out of Romans 
for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what I see a lot of times when I read Paul, because Paul's a list guy, right? He has lists mm-hmm. in his letters frequently. And uh, two of his lists, this is one here, it's a short list, and then another one in Galatians, which I don't know if you alluded to or not. I pay attention to Paul's lists, and I can't substantiate this, but I think that the order in his lists matter to him. They seem to matter to me, and they seem to speak to me. So let me just share with you for a minute what I'm seeing here in this passage in Romans that you just read. So the first thing in the list is that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, which I think then leads into peace, which then issues into joy. So the first thing that we experience when we come into the kingdom is right standing with God. When we get saved, that's what happens to to us. From the divine perspective, we're now in right standing with God. To whatever degree we realize that or not, I don't know. But as it begins to dawn on you, and I think this is an increasing revelation throughout our Christian life. I don't think it's just something you understand at the beginning and the the moment of your salvation. I think the degree of how right we are with God is something that we increasingly realize to what degree the effective work of Jesus Christ has done for us. So we come to see our right standing with God. When I know that I'm in right standing with God, one of the most immediate benefits to that for me personally is I'm at peace, which is the second thing in Paul's list. If God's okay with me, can there be anything more peaceful in your existence on this planet than knowing that the God of all creation is at peace with you? And so it issues into a peace. So if I'm in right standing and, and that's producing peace in me, it seems that the, the next natural thing would be for joy to begin to well up within me, that I am in right standing with God the Father. Mm. And I'm at peace. He's at peace with me. I can be at peace with myself. Yes. I can be at peace with the rest of humanity. Yes. I can be at peace with the Lord as well. And so how can that not but mm. result in joy? Yes. So I see, I see the joy issuing forth. Another thing I see is joy, I like to think, is just the, the default disposition of the Godhead. If you were trying to describe the mood yes. of God the Father yes. or of Jesus Christ, what adjective would you pick? That answer is going to vary by a wide variety for a lot of Christians. For a lot of Christians who are saddled under a lot of guilt, a lot of weight, a lot of to-dos, that mood is not a good one. God's not in a good mood. God's mad <laughs> right? all God's the time. mad all the time because <laughs> I'm coming up short all and the time. And he's mad at you all the time. <laughs> right, right. So when I look at the Lord, and, and for people that have that tendency and that weakness to, toward viewing, you know, maybe because of their past history or maybe just because of their own natural dispositions, fallen dispositions, that God is not pleased with them. This is a really powerful insight in the scriptures that you that you just read and commented on, and there's a whole bunch more, that I'm taking my stand right there that the default mood of God is joy. Yes. And we, I think we see this repeatedly in the Gospels with Jesus. I think there's a lot of joy in many of these situations and stories yes. that we read. For example, I think when he was walking into ta- that town where Zacchaeus was, and he looked up in that tree... 
and saw Zacchaeus and he said, I must come to your house mm-hmm. and stay with you. I think that was expressed with a great deal of joy. I think a lot of the 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 mood that we should be reading into a lot of Jesus' yes, words and yes. interactions, not only with the twelve, but with many, many people that he encountered, yes. was coming from a place of joy. And that certainly brought joy to Zacchaeus's heart because yes. all of his fellow Jews had shut him out. They would not eat with him. Right. right. <laughs> Here Jesus says, yeah. I'm going to actually eat with you in your home. I'm staying with you in your house. <laughs> and that meant a lot more back then than it means oh, today. Absolutely. I mean, the, the implications of what Jesus did right there, and I think did joyfully. Yeah. Um, and look at look at the joy. I mean, you can see as that, that short story is unfolding, right? Zacchaeus is welling up with joy. He's, he's come into right standing with God. Yes, that's right. God's okay with him, and as a result of that, there's a peace settling on him, and then that subsequent joy rising up within him, and Mm. he blurts out Mm -hmm. this statement that he probably can't even follow through on practically, that he is going to give back half of everything that he ever took, and he's going to repay four times. I mean, I don't think he probably was able to follow through on that, but the point is, Mm. is that he was moved to joy absolutely and and made this proclamation i think that was an expression i i can i can hear him saying that with great joy with great with joy. great exuberance and i see the lord laughing with great joy yes. in response yes. to that sure. saying yeah. salvation has yes, come to is. this house yeah. Yeah. today right and i think the whole mood yeah. of that situation is joy so one of the things i do is i look at joy as the mood the prevailing mood of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And I think that we Christians in general, like you referred to earlier, are um, a, a bit emaciated when it comes to viewing God with this mood of constant joy towards us, that he joys over us, that he joys over mm-hmm. his people. I think that's a huge aspect to this. But there's a lot of that in the Old Testament. And, and this is interesting to go along with what you're saying regarding the the mood of the Godhead. He's always well. He's always in this state of well-being. And when he transmits joy to us, we tap into that and we participate in that. Yeah. And and I think one of the things as you were reading the scriptures that was kind of dawning on me was, I think we have a tendency to view joy as a passive thing. Like either you have joy or you don't have joy. And if you don't have it, too bad, right? You're just, you're just out of luck. And a lot of those passages you read, particularly from the Old Testament, and, and this may be where, where our charismatic brothers and sisters might have a little bit of an advantage. I don't think you have to be passive about joy. I think that if Jesus is abiding inside of you, then joy is abiding inside of you. And sometimes, like sediment will settle to the bottom. I think sometimes our joy kind of settles in our passivity to the, to the bottom of our, of our being. And that you can actually stir up your joy. And I think we see some of those passages you read that sometimes you sing because you are joyful, but sometimes you sing to stir up that joy that's already dwelling in you and it just may have settled out. So I don't think joy is something that we just sit around twiddling our thumbs about waiting for it to knock us upside the head. I think you can stir up joy by recalling promises of God, by recalling the faithfulness of God in your life, by, you know, the things that we see Jesus saying and doing. 
in the New Testament. So I don't think it's necessarily a passive thing either. Amen to that. I agree totally. Going back to that passage in Romans 14, there's a thought that struck me as you were sharing about right standing with God being the equivalent of righteousness. Righteousness has two aspects to it. There is the right standing with God aspect where he receives us as his child, but then there's also the aspect where it refers to right living, walking in righteousness, practical holiness. And that too produces peace. If, for example, a Christian is not walking in their new nature, for example, they're walking in the old nature, they're walking in the flesh, they're not right living, for example, they're walking in unrighteousness, that's going to affect their peace. They're not going to have that state of being at rest with the Lord because their conscience will be bothering them. The Holy Spirit will be enlightening their conscience. And that will affect this matter of joy. They will not have the joy of the Lord. So there's that aspect too. And and I think if a Christian is walking in such a way where they lack peace and they lack joy, they need to look at, or they should look at, am I walking the way the Lord wants me to? Or is there, is there an area in my life where I have not surrendered to Christ or where I have a controversy with God, right? The other thought is, you know, there's a passage in, in Psalms, I believe, where, where David says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Yes. And so there's that initial joy. But then there's also the passage that says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. So what do you suppose that means exactly? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean for the joy of the Lord to be I thought you were the man with all the strength? answers. I, I am not. In fact, I'm the man that asked the question. Well, no, I definitely concur with, I can experientially concur with when there have been periods of my life where there is an area that should be in consistent obedience with the new life that has been put inside of me, but I'm not walking in that. There is not joy. Because joy, if, if, if what we're saying is true, and joy is the disposition of the Godhead, then it is a, it's a trait of divine life, of new life. And therefore, it cannot possibly be a trait of the old man. So if I'm somebody who's walking in my old nature, then I am cut off from joy, because joy can never be found in the old man. And while God's constantly doing a work in us, there are areas where he is either, you know, has already transformed or shining a spotlight on and dealing with me about. Then in those areas, if I'm walking in the old man when I when I have been already given a place to walk in the new man, and there's, there's not a, a righteousness to my walk, there's no way that I can expect joy to be there. Um, the answer to that is I have to step out of the old nature back into the new nature that's been given to me for joy to return. Paul and James and Jesus can make absolutely outrageous statements like, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That is completely counter-thinking to everything of this fallen human order that we live in. I've got a couple passages here from Paul to read uh, when he's writing to the Corinthians. He says... Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. The word joy and affliction don't go in the same sentence unless you are dwelling 
in some other kind of life form. So there's some amazing stuff, right? Um, Paul says this, also in 2 Corinthians. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. And he's talking in relation to them actually giving, uh, contributing something to Paul to take to Jerusalem. But the point is, is that in the New Testament, there seems to be absolutely no problem mixing joy with utter trial and tribulation and difficulties and impossibilities. And that is not something that mere mortals do. So we're talking about the territory of divinity here when when you're being encouraged to consider it all joy while you might be in a profound, a profoundly painful even, a profoundly impossible affliction, and the advice is to count it all as joy. And so obviously by the vantage point of heaven joy is not something that is circumstantially dependent it is the abiding nature of jesus christ in you regarding regardless rather of your outward circumstances it seems to me maybe the joy of the lord is your strength has to do with the fact that you're going through a trial you're going through a tribulation and it is the hope of the resurrection on the other side that is giving you joy because you, you see and you anticipate that God is going to turn it around and the outcome is going to be good, whatever the outcome is. Right. Because he is a God of resurrection. He is a God of hope. And so just as Jesus endured the cross, he was able to have strength to go through the cross because there was a joy set before him knowing that the cross was going to end up in resurrection and in something good, something that, that would please his heart, something that would bless his heart, the desire of his soul. God the Father promising to, to give us the desires of our heart. He was able then to embrace that joy, even though he couldn't see it and hold it at the time, but he had hope for it. That caused him to endure. And I think perhaps that's what it means for the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We have this hope that on the other side of whatever it is we're going through, there's going to be a wonderful, beautiful, glorious outcome. Amen. And so when we read all the passages about joy in relation to the future, rejoice, be joyful because great is your reward in heaven, even though that's off into the future, it's almost like bringing what's in the future right into the present even though it hasn't got to us yet, and we're experiencing that by faith. Yes. And that gives us joy, that gives us that sense of well-being, that gives us that exuberant excitement. Yeah. And in my own life, uh, maybe we can talk a bit personally, but what brings me joy, opposed to pleasure, I guess, would be watching God answer prayers. Whatever sure. it's, yeah. it's seeing someone come to Christ, whether it's seeing the Lord mend a relationship, whether it's seeing him heal someone, mm -hmm. right. uh, whether emotionally or physically, whether it's just any kind of answer to prayer, you know, blessing business, blessing ministry, blessing family, blessing another person in response to prayer. That brings me joy. And the other thing that brings me joy is just having fellowship with other believers where we talk about Christ and we talk about what God <laughs> is doing in our life maybe even sharing struggles together 
there is a joy that comes with that as well. The, the presence of the Lord. If we come together with other believers and our hearts are pointed toward Christ, he is present with us in a very special way. Right. And it's in his presence that we experience joy. Can you add to that? yourself yeah well and you you kind of started this this thought with um the passage about jesus enduring because of the joy set before him fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down now at the right hand of the throne of god so what was set before jesus was he he saw his bride and while she was not real and on the earth at that moment he could see her and so he had that joy set before him for us when we are facing our own crosses in life the joy set before us is that we are going to be conformed to the image of jesus christ and that is what we all want And a lot of times, most times, all the time, when we are going through trials, tribulations, pain, sorrows, afflictions, the Lord is simply moving us through a process of transforming us into the image of his Son. And so that is the joy that's set before us at all times. Nothing's out of control. God hasn't fallen asleep. God's not angry with it. All the things that assault our minds when we are in the heat and fire of affliction none of those things are ultimately accurate what's ultimately accurate is that god is conforming us to the image and that can produce a sense of joy knowing that this current thing that seems to be overwhelming me or is trying to overwhelm me is actually going to result in my conformity to christ so in that regard we're doing the same exact thing jesus is doing we're standing before the joy set before us and we can endure the cross and it doesn't mean then that all of the all of the pain and difficulty is taken away just because we understand that there's something ahead for us and there's a hope because even though Jesus saw the joy set before him he it says he still he had to endure mm-hmm. the cross and he despised the shame that went along with that So it's not that you're necessarily walking around with some kind of phony, fake smile plastered on your face. Mm. That's not necessarily an indication of joy. So just to circle back around, joy, it seems to me from Scripture, is exuberant excitement over God doing something in your life presently or in hope and anticipation for Him to do it in the future. When we look at all of the scriptures in the New Testament about joy, and even in the Old Testament, it seems that that's probably the best definition that makes the most sense out of the material. Yeah, I, th- I think that one of the surprising things when I took a look at all of the passages in both the Old Testament and New Testament that include joy were how externally connected the joy was to something happening, something outward happening, some moment where God steps in, answers a prayer, or does something. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, say, in Paul's case, he shows up at a church and gives a report or mm-hmm. gets a report, and right. he's jo- overjoyed or the church is overjoyed. 
So there seems to be a lot of external stimulus when it comes to joy, and it seems to be definitely related, as you said, to either a recent event that has just been accomplished by God or in anticipation of something that God has promised to do. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of times people connect joy with a kind of an internal sense only. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you actually take a look at the passages that use the word joy in both the Old and New Testaments, it actually has an external connection. And then there's this thing about you know joy being kind of a continuous internal sense or sensation or something that's that mm-hmm. should always be going on in the life of a believer but most of what you see in the scripture is actually event related which means it's also temporary yes and kind of connecting that to galatians 5 where you have joy listed as one of the fruits of the spirit when you think about that fruit by its very nature is seasonal You go to the grocery store, you can't buy certain fruit, it's not in season. Or you get this particular fruit because it is in season. So fruit is not always continuously abiding or in existence. And so if joy, which is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit, is a fruit, then it stands to reason that it may also be seasonal. And I think that's important to to kind of make that point because we Christians very easily get under the weight that we're supposed to be a certain way or we're supposed to be a certain way all the time. Yes. And if you get under the sense that you're supposed to be joyful all the time, that's a pretty heavy load to try to carry around. I don't know anybody who's joyful all the time, or even most of the time, for that matter. That's right. Here's a few other passages I want to read that confirm this definition of joy, of it being either present tense or past tense related to divine activity, God doing something. For example, 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So there's a report about a group of believers walking in Christ in truth, and that brings great joy. Then we have in Jude 1.24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's future. And we also have a hint of that when Jesus says in Matthew 25, 21 and 23, his master will say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I have set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, referring to the future joy. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here, Peter's tying believing in the Lord with rejoicing with joy. Though we don't see him, we love him. I think this is a reference to the presence of Christ. That even though we don't see him, we know he's present with us. And this goes back to Psalm 1611 and Psalm 216, where the presence of God brings joy. And so the manifestation of God's presence will, in fact, bring joy. In Matthew 28, verse 8, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So when they found out that the body was not there, that Jesus had risen, they had great joy. Again, something present happened where God showed up and it brought great joy. 
Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There is this connection of believing the Lord who we cannot see physically with having joy. Again, a reference to the presence of Christ, I believe. Then we have Philemon 1, 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. So there the love of God expressed to Paul from Philemon, and it produces joy. That's one of the things that produces joy is when we receive love from another brother or sister. Yes. That's a joyful thing. Yes, indeed. That's what I've been trying to tell you for many years is if you would show me some love, I'd have some joy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just to give you another example of what we're talking about here um, in 1 John, right at the beginning of his first letter, he says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, mm. which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete Mm. so again this is an external activity going on in order for joy to be registered in this case to be made full Mm. and complete and i think that's a reference to the presence of the lord yes and to being brought into that very same fellowship that the father and the son enjoy and that john and the other apostles are writing and speaking to anyone who will listen about that fellowship and join them in that Mm. fellowship of Mm. the Father and the Son. And it's really a case of the more the merrier, the more that enter into that fellowship along with them. Yes. There's an increase of joy. There's a tie in there with John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking about his departure. In chapter 16, verse 20, he says, You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy, referring to his return in the spirit. And then he says in 1511 of John, these things I have spoken to you. What things? Well, the fact that he's going to leave them physically, but he's going to return in the spirit as the spirit. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. And then John again, the writer of the Gospel of John, says in 2 John 1.12, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. So again, brothers and sisters coming together to fellowship in the presence of Jesus. And when we do come together as believers, the presence of Jesus is with us, even in a greater degree. And so what does that do? That produces joy. So the kingdom of God is available to us. It's here now. And as we press into the kingdom, as we pray for the manifestation of the kingdom to come into our life, to come into the life of other people, thy kingdom come. As we seek the kingdom of God, we will have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, those are the trail markers of, am I entering into the kingdom? Is is the kingdom manifesting around me? And Romans 14 gives us gives us the trail markers to look for righteousness Mm. peace and joy yes in the holy spirit and i would just add one 
word of warning if you are a Christian who is not experiencing peace or joy there is a very good chance you're not seeking the kingdom first and you're not walking in his righteousness so have some dealings with the Lord and ask him to penetrate your heart with his light to show you areas to which you are blind so you can in fact respond to the Holy Spirit and surrender those areas so that you can have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting. It says that right in Romans 14, this verse that we keep using. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Really what he's saying there, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting what you want yeah. or doing what you want. Yes. It's a matter of righteousness, mm. peace, and joy. So if you're getting your way and getting what you want and doing what you want and also in Romans 14 at the expense of other people mm. then that is not kingdom thinking that is not kingdom living because mm. kingdom living if it's indeed a matter of righteousness joy and peace and obviously love living in love towards others means you're not necessarily getting your way you may even be laying down your way for the sake of the brethren that is a great insight and let me put it another way if you're building your own kingdom if you're living for your own kingdom which Nick really comes down to this I want to be happy what's gonna make me happy and we have seen the destruction of relationships we have seen the falling away of God's people from the Lord all because they want to be happy and that's a railroad track to misery because if you have the Holy Spirit in you your pursuit of your own kingdom and what's gonna make you happy to the point where you're gonna say no to God and his will is not gonna bring you happiness not sustained happiness the pleasures of sin are only for a season Hebrews says joy is found in saying yes to God and that really means saying to the Lord I'm not going to be here to build my kingdom to make me happy I'm here to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness there's another occurrence of righteousness in relation to the kingdom yeah. Romans 14 Matthew 6 and his righteousness his way of doing things not my will but your will be done that is the path to joy yes yeah because the terms of the kingdom of God while it is unconditional love it is also unconditional surrender on our part yes in response to that unconditional love so we receive the unconditional love we give unconditional surrender and where you see most Christians struggling is where they're trying to have a surrender with terms <laughs> I surrender half I surrender three-quarters in that kind of that pursuit of personal fulfillment or personal Mm. happiness as you said and also trying to have one foot in the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom simply doesn't allow for that kind of half-hearted approach absolutely not if you're lukewarm what did the Lord say I will spit you out of my mouth those are sober words and this is coming from the kingdom incarnate and I think it's a deception Nick and, and this is what the enemy does he'll come along and say you can't really trust God his way is not best you deserve to be happy so say no to God's will here pick and choose what you want to follow and when that happens we are caught in the riptide of the enemy's territory and it ends up 
bringing destruction in our lives. I've watched it happen, I'm sure you have, over the years. Sure. People just saying no to the Lord and yes to their own happiness, which in effect is, I'm going to build my kingdom my way. Right. And it ends up shipwrecking their Christian life. They become virtually useless to the Lord. Yeah. And in the end, they become very unhappy and filled with much regret. Yes. I've seen that many, many times. So the topic is saying yes to God and joy in his kingdom. And we hope that you've benefited from our little conversation here. And we will sign off until next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.